Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to a normal and not spooky episode of SciShow Tangents. We're we're all a little sad when when the Halloween season ends. It is the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello, also. <laughs> Sam, when does this episode of SciShow Tangents come out? November 2nd. So you cannot yet... Go to awesomesocks.club and su- sign up for a sock subscription that will eliminate the worry of needing to buy socks from your life while also donating all of the profits to charity instead of having your sock profit go to some stranger somewhere. Uh-huh. You're so lucky that you're hearing about it now before it opens so that you can remember that on November 5th, you can go and sign up at yeah. awesomesocks.club. But- We'll probably also talk about it next week. (laughs) (laughs) You can go to BFTBA.com and find the new SciShow Tangent sticker, though. came out yesterday. Oh, all right. Well, I didn't even know. So many integrations. Uh Uh-huh. Get a sticker. Put on your sock. Or you can get like 50 stickers and just cover your feet in them. Make them into socks. Oh. They are socks now. And shoes. If you get like 400, they're shoes now. (laughs) (laughs) I think you'd need way less than 400. I think you'd only need 100. Well, but look, Sam, I'm trying to upsell them. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. These stickers are flimsy. You got to buy 400 to make them into shoes. That's right. (laughs) 
No, Dick can't tell people they're flimsy. They're high quality. <laughs> they're high oh, quality shoe stickers. What if you want to become a a, a morph suit of Sasha Tangent stickers? Uh, How many do you need, Sam? Morph suit. Ten thousand. That sounds very sweaty. Oh, it sounds super comfortable, Hank. Please. You'd be perfectly hairless after you were done as well. <laughs> I mean, all we need is one person to buy an entire morph suit of SciShow Tangent stickers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically, we could spend a lot of money marketing to that one person. We just have to find them. That is true. Our whale. They are our whale, the SciShow Tangent sticker morph suit person. <laughs> so let us know if you are that human or cow. Yeah. Take like 200,000 to cover a cow. <laughs> 200,000 stickers. Now we're wealthy. Now we don't need anybody's money anymore. We're quitting the business. We, we don't need to be in tangents anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there is a there is a space between uh, between SciShow Tangents uh, being a good sustainable podcast and us making too much money and just being like, <laughs> I don't care. I live in the Barbados. I don't care about science anymore. <laughs> yeah. So buy just <laughs> enough stickers, but not too many. <laughs> <laughs> Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on a topic, which is especially humorous after that intro. Our panelists are playing for Glory and for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from me. Our bodies sense so many things so that we can know what is up and down and nice and bad and even fast and slow. We can smell the flowers, bitter and sours, and know when the cookie is sweet. But it's crucial to know when you're in the snow where you can find some heat. And so evolution granted us this special superpower so that we can know how good it feels to take a heated shower. But as for how it works, you'll have to ask again. And by again, I mean you'll have to ask your time-traveling friend. Because we know molecularly how sight and smell and sound work, but as for heat and cold, we're still laying the groundwork. Our bodies contain mysteries, both elegant and not, and one of them is how we tell whether something's cold or hot. Our topic for the day is heat, and I went to the internet to be like, hey, like, how does uh, thermoreception work? And the internet was like, eh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because all of science is like, eh. It's wild. <laughs> There's one thing that we know. There's like kinds of diseases where uh, your cilia, like it, throughout your body, cilia are constructed poorly, which can really negatively impact digestion and some other things. But it also in- decreases your sensitivity to, to heat. So people think that cilia must be involved What's somehow. Cilia? They're like little like projections of cells that like are wiggly. Oh, okay, okay, okay. They're mm-hmm. often used by single-celled organisms to like move around, but in your intestines, mm-hmm. they're used to absorb nutrients, mm. increase the surface area of the cell. Anyway, Sari, I know that this is not as easy as a question as it might sound like, but what is heat? Yeah, this is a tricky one. Um, <laughs> so if you think about... <laughs> Temperature is like a physical quantity of something. Okay. So like you can uh-huh. that expresses how hot or cold something is. So like you an object can be hot, <laughs> an object can be cold, and it is a certain temperature. And that's something you can uh-huh. measure. Heat, you don't say an object has seven heat. Heat is something uh-huh. is a is a quantity of energy that is transferred to or from something else. So like heat can be transferred from lemonade to ice cubes in the lemonade. Or he can be right. transferred from... An oven to a turkey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is heat the transfer itself? Or is heat the thing being transferred? It's the energy being transferred, I think. Okay. Because you can describe that. The The unit of heat is joule. So the, you can the say singer like, from the 90s. Um, <laughs> she is hot. And so everyone was like, how many joules 
do I have to look at at once? To, to boil a pot of water. To boil a pot of water. And then they were like, ah, yes, that is one jewel. <laughs> now Jewel is the a French guy. No, he's English. Never mind. Wow. Um, James Prescott Jewel. His first two names sound less yeah. French. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so the, the unit is named after him. And heat is mostly used when you're describing thermodynamic systems. So like as things are getting hotter or getting colder, that's when like physicists and chemists are interested in heat as a concept. Mm. And the history is very weird. I don't know if you know this, Hank, but we've been confused about heat, not only in the present day, but also <laughs> in the past. Yeah. And I love that the things that we made up to describe it. Mm. Um, so one of the, the theories of heat was that there was a fire-like element called phlogiston. Phlogiston. Phlogiston? Oh, yeah. You're right. Phlogiston. <laughs> I'm glad you're here so I didn't have egg on my face saying phlogiston like a dummy. <laughs> um, but they, like, people were thinking that this, this, like, element was in things that combusted or rusted or mm. uh, had fiery things related to it. And it was, like, held within the thing that could catch on fire and then was released when that fire happened. Yeah. Uh, so it was like like a hot element. Makes sense. Yeah, seems reasonable to me. <laughs> yeah. So after phlogiston, then they upgraded to the caloric theory. Okay. thought that uh, heat was a fluid called caloric that flows from hot to cold. So we were getting like the the flow of things and mm -hmm. how heat is transferred, but we couldn't figure out what it was. It was like a fluid or but also like a weightless gas that could seep in and out of pores and could just go wherever it needed to be. But like that is how we conceptualize heat as like you have more of a thing than you are hot. And if you have less of a thing, then you're not mm -hmm. uh, like the the fashion spreads, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then we started learning more about thermodynamics and conceptualizing heat as a variable and in, in like kinetic terms of how molecules are moving. We had to have an understanding of molecules and atoms first, and then we could apply that concept to what we know about temperature and extrapolate from there. Hmm. I mean, it turns out to be a pretty confusing thing where it's like, okay, so it's an increased temperature is the molecules moving faster, which just doesn't seem right. It is such a clear sensation that I have physically when I touch something. But what's happening is like, my molecules are starting to move faster and some system in my body is able to transmit that information, like take the knowledge of that information and transfer it to my brain as a sensation of heat. And when my molecules slow down, that is sensed as cold. It, it just seems way too fundamental to be real. Mm -hmm. It's a lot to think about. Like when I taste something, I'm tasting it. You know, it's like the chicken molecules hit my tongue <laughs> and then my, my brain is like, chicken. Uh, but like the... That's not what's happening with heat. It's like, it's not like chemical sensing. It's like feeling the molecules move around. Oh. Mm, I don't like it. Yeah. Getting some of their wiggle into your body. Yeah. Or or they say they suck your wiggle out. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is the two things that happen. Do they suck your mm -hmm. wiggle out? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you stick your head in a refrigerator, it, it sucks, sucks your wiggle, wiggle right out of you. That's right. You go outside in the winter in Montana. My wiggle. That's going to suck your wiggle out. Give me back my and then wiggle. You, and then you go get a hot cup of coffee and you put that wiggle back in. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. Now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's on board. Yeah, so replace caloric with wiggles uh -huh. and then you've yeah, got yeah. heat. And all your stuff's just bumping around more. 
Mm-hmm. Now, the word heat, it seems like we've probably been dealing with uh, being warm for a while. So I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and guess that that one's been with us since the Proto-Indo-European route. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. But there's actually two. Oh. I think everyone was confused about heat. So it seems like, from my understanding, there is a Proto-Indo-European root meaning to heat or warm, like the verb, mm-hmm. uh, which is G-W-H-E-R. Okay. And so that's the... That's the root for things like thermal or like brandy or a lot. I don't know. These these letters change sounds a lot, I think. Uh, but but there's a lot of things that derive from that root that mean like to heat or to be warm. But mm-hmm. hot and heat, like with the the huh sound, they came from the same source as Old English hat and uh, Heda or something meaning hot weather. So mm. it's like the word for hot. We are not sure where it came from. Okay, because the caveman mm. went, oh, and then from there, <laughs> the rest was history. <laughs> I think you've cracked it, Sam. <laughs> and so it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, we'll be going to be playing a game of this or that. Do you guys remember how this or that works? Uh huh. It's either this one or that one. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Is it hot or not? No, it is actually, it's hot or hotter is mm. is kind of the vibe oh. of this one. So um, as Sari just told us, heat and temperature are different things. Temperature is a measure of the energy of the molecules inside something. Heat is describing the flow of energy between things. Um, today, we're going to play a this or that heat edition. I'm going to present you with two things that have different temperatures, and it's up to you to figure out which one is hotter than the other one. Ooh, Okay. It's pretty easy to figure out. So we have round number one, body temperature edition. Animal bodies, including our bodies, have different needs when it comes to regulating their body temperature. We might live in a hot environment or have a very active life or have feathers or fur that trap our body heat. And if our animal bodies exceed the temperature that we're like the animal sort of evolved to exist in, we can get really sick unless we find some ways to get rid of that heat. So which of the following is hotter? A flying pigeon or the hottest ever fever recorded and survived by a human. Whoa. Gosh, I think animals are unreal hot and people can't. So I don't think it goes pigeon. You think it's a hot pigeon? I think that's one hot pigeon. Oh my gosh. I was thinking the opposite. I just don't know how hot pigeons are. I've never touched one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to say humans because I think we're we're hardy. And I know there was weird experiments with like intentionally causing fevers at Mm. some point. In 1980, a man named Willie Jones, he had a temperature of 115 degrees Fahrenheit. That's over 2,000 wiggles after he was admitted (laughs) to the hospital because of heat stroke. So he he, wasn't uh, a fever from an illness. He was in a very hot place. So he had this heat stroke fever and he survived after being in the hospital for 24 days. And that is hotter than a flying pigeon, but not by as much as you might think. Scientists studying pigeon flight found that on a 34 mile per hour flight, Uh, which is very fast. Pigeons exceeded an average body temperature of 111.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, that's that's up from its normal temperature of 107.8. So they're just burning that that glycogen. It's creating some heat. Which brings us to round number two. Uh, So this is the geology round of this or that heat edition. The Earth is situated at a nice location in our solar system that makes life as we know it possible. But... Uh, Life at the surface is much different from at the Earth's core. So which 
is hotter, lava as it erupts out of a volcano on the surface of Earth or the daytime surface temperature of Venus? Oh, no. I don't have a concept for how hot either are, but... I'm going to guess Venus just because it's closer to the sun. The problem is, is I don't know enough about its atmosphere, like how, how much it is shielded from that solar radiation, but it seems hot and bad there. Yeah. So it's only hot and bad there. I'm going to say that. I was leaning towards Venus too, because like maybe its radiant temperature is more than the lava. Oh, it's radiant temperature. I don't know. It's something temperature, Hank. I don't know what any kind of temperatures are. Maybe it's atmospheric temperature or whatever. Um, Okay, so so you're going with Venus, but you're going yeah, with Venus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to ask a follow up question, which is, what is Venus made out of? Rock. Yeah, rock is right. a good answer. Right. And the rock on the surface uh, of the Venus is solid. Is not lava. Is, it is. Yeah, it is solid. It's not oh, melting. No. Yeah. This would have been a good question to ask before we gave our answer, yeah. Hank. You could have really helped out. So Venus is the hottest planet in our solar system, not just because it's closer to the sun, but also it's dense carbon dioxide atmosphere. As we've heard, carbon dioxide, good at trapping heat. So the surface of, of, of Venus reaches 880 degrees Fahrenheit. Mercury, only 800 degrees Fahrenheit during the day and negative 290 at night. Meanwhile, the temperature of lava erupting out of the Hawaiian volcano Kilauea is around 2,140 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, the lava does cool down quickly after being exposed to air, going down by hundreds of degrees each second. So just at that moment when it hits there it is very oh, very very hot we beefed it completely yeah that was pretty embarrassing but you know <laughs> all right let's see if you can make up for it with round three which is we're zooming out even further into the cosmic edition quasars are very bright objects in space they're thought to be early stage galaxies and to be powered by supermassive black holes and one of the first quasars to be discovered was 3c2 which was discovered by astronomer John Boston in the early 1960s. So which is hotter, the center of Quasar 3C273 or the hottest temperature ever made by man? Mm. Hmm. We can do some pretty fucked up stuff, so... (laughs) I imagine they would both be like some sort of like nuclear fission or or fusion or something like that, right? Like, yeah hot elements doing something mm-hmm. that would be like the same as whatever's going on in whatever quasar mm-hmm. but more so perhaps or hank will make fools of us again i'm gonna say human yeah. created <laughs> is hotter uh, yeah i guess <laughs> so if it was human created you could see the hot quasar and then be like i can do one hotter and then make something <laughs> slightly hotter <laughs> that's a very human thing to do yeah I'm going to be made a fool of, but I'm going to guess the quasar because I don't understand space things. And I'm just like, oh, it's in space. It's hot. It's it's extreme. All right. Well, here's a little story for you. In 2012, scientists at CERN's Large Hadron collided lead ions to create a quark-gluon plasma, the mass of subatomic particles that might have existed before the Big Bang, which resulted in a temperature of around 9.9 trillion degrees Fahrenheit, which is very hot. But it is not as hot as the core of a quasar. No. Yes. Yes, it is. It's hotter. It's hotter. In 2016, scientists studying that quasar uh, with a Russian 
the satellite, found that the core of the quasar measured around 18 trillion degrees what? Fahrenheit, which is not just hotter than CERN, it's hotter than what theoretical predictions had said was possible for a quasar, which oh. is about 179 billion degrees Fahrenheit. So very, very different from that. Uh, that discrepancy points to mysteries in how quasars emit light and how the molecules inside of it are interacting that we have not yet solved. Wow. That's hot! <laughs> Trillions of degrees? <laughs> yeah. My head can't even wrap around no. how hot it is. No. All right. Well, uh, congratulations to Sari for coming out with two points to Sam's none. Next, we're going to take a short break, and then it will be time for the Fact Off. Slash Your Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow. If there's there's a constant drain on the the bean, that (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and beyond I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling (laughs) rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I buy more beans, (laughs) (laughs) different kind of bean, I guess. A so cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use you- that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Slash Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora 
ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? It's, I feel like honey <laughs> is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Hello and welcome back, everybody. It's time for the fact off. Our panelists have brought science facts uh, to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. Sam is currently two points behind, so he will have to have his fact be twice as good as Sari's for a win to be in his future, which, look, buddy, it's possible. You could do it. (laughs) And I judge these based on uh, which one I want to turn into a TikTok. Um, And then I turn it into a TikTok, which do very well. Um, So good job. Bringing me good science fact. I think it makes people listen to our show, too. I think it's made people sign up for the show, which... Uh, I love this. I'm glad I'm glad that they, uh, they're here for this mess of goofiness. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question for you. Millions of people experience hot flashes, and contrary to what the name might suggest, the symptoms aren't just feeling hot. During a hot flash, many people's metabolic rate increases, with associated heart rate increases by about 7 to 15 beats per minute. But that's not to say you don't also get hot. So based on readings from a finger monitor, what is the average body temperature increase during a hot flash? Well, it's not more than like... 10 degrees. It can't be. That. Yeah. I mean, Otherwise, that dude did, whole- did <laughs> die almost at 115. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he, he mm-hmm. did max out. So it's not going to take you above 115. I feel like you can also yep. feel extremely hot and then take your temperature and be like, I am not, I am normal. So it's weird. Those moments where you're, you're just like, I am my everything. And then you take your temperature. It's like 99.6. And you're like, I am bad at, I'm just a very whiny person. <laughs> yeah. My proteins. <laughs> I have such a uh, a good like I'm melting, but instead, like the Wicked Witch gets water poured on, and she's like, "My proteins—they're <laughs> denaturing." <laughs> I think that the answer to this question is point four. That's so low. I think the answer to this question is three. That seems like a lot. 
The average finger temperature increased 2.7 degrees Celsius during a hot flash. Wow. Sari's the winner. Bazinga. All right. So, Sari, that means you get to decide who goes first. Um, And I'll go first. So... Like Hank was saying, mammals, like humans, uh, expend quite a bit of energy to keep our bodies toasty warm. But other animals, like many reptiles, are ectothermic and mostly rely on external factors for temperature control. And I have just kind of assumed that plants are also beholden to the whims of their environment. They can either just tolerate the cold or the heat or die off and regrow. And for the most part, this is true. But there are a handful of thermogenic plants. Plants that can generate heat from within and raise their temperature far above the air that surrounds them. So, for example, the skunk cabbage doesn't sound or look like much. It grows near the ground in wetlands across the North American continent and is kind of brownish, greenish, and stinky. I've Um, I've seen some skunk cabbage in my time. I haven't. I'm excited to see one now, though. I'm going to go looking. Uh, Because in March, when the ground is often still frozen and covered in snow or ice, you might see a small melted spot surrounding one of these little guys. For about two weeks, a modified leaf pokes out of the ground, protecting a cluster of flower heads called the spadix. And even when air temperatures are below freezing, the spadix is around 15 to 35 degrees Celsius hotter than its surroundings. Mm. Almost like it's a tiny animal, the skunk cabbage generates this heat through cellular respiration, using up oxygen and sugars like starch in the process. Ancillary respiration, as anyone who's had to memorize it for a test knows, has a lot of different steps and proteins and genes involved. And for those nerds like me, it seems like thermogenic plants may use pathways that animals don't, but exact biochemical process is a botanical mystery. Uh, It likely Mm. involves classes of compounds called alternative oxidases or plant uncoupling mitochondrial proteins or pumps, uh, which is confusing (laughs) because there are protein pumps Mm. too. Yeah, But they don't use uh, cytochrome C oxidase, which is that big one that you learn about at the end of the electron transport system in biochemistry. This is a little in the weeds, but I was like, that's very weird. So I decided Mm. to include it in my fact. Um, (laughs) And biochemistry aside, it's strange that a plant would expend all this energy to bloom a little bit earlier instead of just waiting for the weather to change. So the other botanical mystery in play is why these hot plants exist. The main guess is that the warm radiant heat helps circulate air around the flower head, like how hot and cold pockets of air in the atmosphere create wind, and this wafts stinky organic compounds through the air to attract pollinators. Another guess is that what fly or beetle or spider wouldn't want to hunker down in a cozy, stinky plant Mm. when it's cold outside? Mm -hmm. Uh, But besides the skunk cabbage, most thermogenic plants are in more tropical environments, so this might not be as likely. But either way, these weird, warm plants exist, and now I want to touch one. (laughs) (laughs) Can I get enough together to, like, warm me up? I'm just, like, wilderness survival time, and I've gotten out in a swamp in the cold. Can I just like gather up a bunch of skunk cabbage and be like, warm my body? My guess is no, because the heat would dissipate probably pretty quickly. Like they need to be rooted and metabolizing Mm -hmm. in order to Mm. produce that heat. But maybe if you like, if you planned ahead before you became a survivalist and like Uh planted a a grove of (laughs) them, then you might have a little warm pocket. Mm. That's cool. I had no idea about that. And and there's lots of skunk cabbage in Montana. I've seen it around. Hmm. Um, I've never like approached any because it's swampy where they are. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to stay over here where my boots are not covered in mud. But now I kind of want to go touch one. Yeah. All right, Sam, what do you got for me? What do you think of when you think of ice? 
Do you think of cubes floating around in a refreshing summer beverage? Or maybe icicles hanging from a festively lit home on a cold Christmas morn? Above all, you think about ice, you think about cold. So what am I doing talking about ice in an episode about heat? Well, what if I told you that some ice could be quite hot indeed? Hot ice. First of all, this fact (laughs) off might be a bit of a team effort because it turns out that ice is weird as fuck and I'll probably get something wrong. Second of all, (laughs) ice becomes ice at 32 degrees Fahrenheit when it's on Earth, right? So water becomes ice at 32 degrees. But as pressure increases, the freezing point of water changes. So under a little bit more pressure, the freezing point gets lower. But once you start putting enough pressure on it, the freezing point increases. So on other planets with different conditions, you can get all types of wacky ice with all types of wacky freezing points. So one Ooh. place in the universe with lots of water under super extreme pressure is the core of gas giants like Uranus and Neptune. The water there could be under so much pressure, in fact, that scientists figure there must be some really weird hot ice down there. Ice that would, according to egghead math, have a solid lattice of oxygen atoms with hydrogen atoms sloshing around inside like a liquid. So they've called this hypothetical form of water super ionic ice and i suppose probably (laughs) contented themselves to never seeing it because we do not live in the core of neptune but in 2019 scientists at the lawrence livermore national laboratory in livermore california used six quote giant lasers to create shock waves that compress liquid water to between one and four million times earth's atmosphere and heated it to between three and five thousand degrees fahrenheit and the thing that they thought would happen super ionic ice happened So super ionic ice formed for like literally a nanosecond and they took some x-ray measurements to prove it or something. That's what they do. Another team in New York (laughs) did like the same thing at the same time and they both got the same results. So I guess that settles that. So they call the ice ice 18 and it is thought in its natural environment that is probably black and four times heavier than our boring old earth ice. And since there are lots of big gassy water filled planets out there, it's also thought that it might even be one of the most common forms of water in the whole universe. Since uh, on Earth, it only exists for a nanosecond after being shot by six giant lasers. It's not really that useful to us for any practical reason. But knowing that it can exist, it gives us a better understanding of how planets work uh, <laughs> with when they have watery cores. And it also seems to be super conductive. So it might help to explain some mm. previously mysterious magnetic mm. fields that we've seen in the universe. Okay. And mm-hmm. maybe there are aliens out there with 8,000 degree drinks that need to be cooled off. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sam, I got to say, I don't care that much about how this helps us understand other planets. You just told me that there is black ice uh-huh. that is four times heavier than ice, uh-huh. but it's still water ice. It's got a like a liquid soup of hydrogen inside of it and is potentially superconducting. Yeah. Uh, and that we made it on Earth. Yeah. And it's potentially the most common form of ice in the universe. Uh-huh. I don't care about any any practical use for this knowledge. Well... You know. I just care that that is a thing. What's this do for me? What's this do for, <laughs> what can I do with 8,000 degree ice? Yeah. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that, since that one shook me to my core, my core of Ice 18, I'm going to call this one a tie. What? Uh, you can't just let me win. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Sarah had two points coming into that. And that does this mean you're going to make both of them into TikToks again? Uh, no, I think I'm going to make Sam's into a TikTok. So then Sam wins. I think that's that's only fair. Yeah, but you won the other one. The points have to mean something, I guess. I humbly accept my basically defeat. <laughs> <laughs> it's now time to ask the science couch where we've got a listener question for our virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from at Joshi Joestar who asks, why is my breath warm when I say ha? 
but it's cool when I say, whoo. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a superpower that we all have. It's fun. Uh huh. I have a guess, as I usually yeah. do. When I go ha, uh, the air is coming out nice and slow, mm. and it's sort of in a nice big fat column of hot air. And when I go, I'm blowing, I'm blowing air, and it's sucking a lot of air in from outside and move like it's creating this like vacuum. Basically, it's being filled. But the reason it feels cool is because there's more molecules hitting your uh-huh. fingers where you're feeling it and those are room temperature molecules but you're getting hit by more molecules so there's more wiggles going into the air than than are staying in your fingers that's pretty much it <laughs> oh, <wow>. science man <laughs> hank <laughs> uh all i have is a couple more fancy words uh to describe what you're saying but yeah it's it's basically um it's a matter of turbulent flow uh-huh. so turbulence is something that exists not only in airplanes, but in any sort of fluid. Um, so like gas or a liquid that is flowing. And there is laminar flow, which is where the fluid moves in like very smooth layers. And then there's turbulent flow, which is where it like swirls around. And that's like what's happening when you blow air out of your mouth. It's not moving perfectly. Like there's tons of different swirly bits of y- how your mouth is shaped and the air is being pushed out, but also just the air currents around in the room. And I don't want to just repeat what you said, but yeah, you're, you're <laughs> blowing out air in a less directed way when you go, ha, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't grab as much nearby air. Mm-hmm. And when you blow air in a more directed way, it like swoops up the room temperature air and feels cool like a breeze. But if you like blow, if you go, who? And you put your hand really close to your mouth, it still feels warm because it hasn't had time to like mm-hmm. suck up that air. Or if you like blow through a tube, mm, uh, then it tube. also doesn't have time or the space to get all turbulent with the other air to hit you. So it is in the way that any sort of temperature is kind of like an, an illusion mm. of just there's more space, there's more molecules mixing up, which makes it feel different to you. What a world. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Vanya Tweets, at T.R. Anson, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. You can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash scishowtangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes where we are even more goofy than we are here. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about about us. And buy stickers, too. 10,000 minimum. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes, along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Deboki Chakravarti, Emma Dowster, and Alex Billow. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Heat has long been used as a tool to join things together. For example, through welding. Specifically, butt welding 
is the term used to describe joining two pieces of metal by aligning their ends and then heating them up. But the heat can come in many different forms. Resistance butt welding passes a current through the metals and the resulting resistance generates so much heat that it softens the metals to join them. There's also laser butt welding that indirectly heats ions by uh, heating electrons with light. And there's ultrasonic butt welding that heats metals with high frequencies that make low amplitude vibrations. There's so many ways to make a butt out of metal. Hmm, that's a stretch, yeah. huh? That ain't about butts. It's a bit, I mean, a little, but like, I did get to say ultrasonic butt welding. <laughs> that's true. That seems like a butt fact to me. You can make it about your butt, too. <laughs> ultrasonic butt welding sounds like a way to describe, like, when you sit on a plasticky chair yes. and your butt really sticks Shred. to it, then uh-huh. it's like, oh, that's freaking ultrasonic butt welding going on <laughs> down there. Especially, especially when you have to stand back up. Yeah. That's yeah. the ultrasonic part because it because mm-hmm. you can hear it. <laughs>